Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Independent Dealer Podcast. Today, we have Nick Marcosian with us from Marcosian Auto here in Northern Utah. He is going to enlighten us about lease here, pay here. We're going to talk about the deal structures. We talk about the advantages of depreciation. We talk about protecting yourself uh, with the Graves Amendment. And Nick is super bullish. Now is the time to be an in-house finance dealership. Nick, are you willing to put your money on that? <laughs> well, I put about eight hundred grand a month out there, so <laughs> I think I am. <laughs> this is a really, really awesome one. If you have any, 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 any interest in lease here, pay here at all, stay tuned. Welcome to the Independent Dealer Podcast, the podcast for auto dealers to learn and grow together. Here are your hosts, Luke Godwin and Jeff Watson. All right, Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate and value your time. I know you're a busy guy. Give us real quick, just kind of an overview. Where, where are you at? What kind of a dealership are you running? I know we're going to talk about leasing, but maybe first off, just give us a bit of your background. How did you get into it? You know, what kind of an operation do you run? Uh, numbers of locations, things like that, so we can kind of get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Uh, we started in 2000. I started with a business partner at the time. My dealership was called West Valley Auto Plaza. And after about four years, we started doing buy here, pay here. And we just used our uh, excess capital to fund buy here, pay here. It was more just a thing we wanted to dabble in. Nothing, not a huge part of our business. Uh, in 2007, we decided to build a second uh, big, huge freaking $4 million deal. So that's when we started leveraging our portfolio. We were borrowing against our portfolio at that point. But up between when we started and that point, I want to say we built it up to around 300 accounts without uh, having to use leverage. Mm -hmm. uh, and then my world kind of fell apart around 2010. Uh, recession, divorce, uh, foreclosure, <laughs> you name it, it happened to me. I always say I was a dead dog short of a country song at that point. Um, <laughs> absolutely desperate to generate any kind of cash flow I could. Uh, and that's when we switched to leasing and I'll get into why it can be so awesome for cash flow uh, versus buy or pay here uh, later on. But um, so we kind of, you know, I was like below zero is worth more dead than alive <laughs> at that point in 2010 uh, and kind of grew our way out of it. I, I, I used leverage to grow into what we are now. And what we are now, we have about a four acre facility in uh, Taylorsville, uh, Utah, which is just west of Salt Lake City. Uh, we average about 150 units a month out of that store. We have a store in Ogden, which is about 45 minutes north. We're averaging about 50 units a month out of that store, and we've been open in Logan, Utah, which is north, even further north, uh, for about a year, and we're averaging somewhere in the 28-unit range at that location. So we're, uh, we're about 220, 230 a month on average. I currently have uh, almost 2,200 leaser pay here accounts. Uh, that has grown from 1,700 at the be beginning of the year, so we've seen some absolutely amazing growth this year. And uh, I'm super passionate about leasing. I'm on the board of directors of the National Vehicle Leasing Association. Been doing that for a few years. Um, usually you'll see me at one of the NIADA panels talking about leasing. I just think it is the perfect model for the subprime customer. And we'll get into that more of that later on. So that's kind of my story. I mean, all I think about is, man, I don't know what was more stressful, 2010 when things kind of came crashing down or thinking that you've got 2,200 accounts <laughs> out there. I mean, that's just like, I can't even fathom that 
Uh, I mean, geez Louise, man. And, and the only reason why Nick and I are even talking or somewhat friends, we're both Utah dealers. He's staying north of the Mason-Dixon line. I'm south of whatever line we have here in Utah. So I like to hear that he's expanding northward. You can go as far to Canada as you want. (laughs) I heard you kind of mentioning a a market uh, that you were considering expanding in, Jeff. And I know what market you were talking about. And I've just kind of been salivating over that market. But I'll I'll stay away. It'll be a race to the bottom. It's funny because my wife is from Logan, and so she keeps talking about how that was a great place to be in, in the dealerships. And I'm like, well, Nick and I are going to have to have some sort of a conversation before that happens. <laughs> hey, Nick, Anyways, what what's your ACV? Uh, so, you know, if you were to take out the ones that we recycle, which is a, typically about 30 to 35% of our monthly sales, our ACV is probably around 8,500. Okay. Um, and yeah. that the lease model enables you to feel comfortable with the higher ACV uh, because on a typical buy here, pay here, you know, the term as keeps getting stretched out to about four years mm-hmm. and then the customer owns the car. Well, we never go over three years on our leases and we, the one way or, we typically get the car back one way or the other. Whereas in the buyer pay here world, you probably have more folks paying off. Although even in the buyer pay here world, it seems like the lower ACV, the higher the chance of a charge off, right? And oh, yeah, that's sure. one of, that's one of the many components of of charge offs. But yeah, that's mechanical, the attractiveness of the car. People just start to see these newer models and body styles and features. And I'm dealing with a 2000, 2001 Nissan Sentra right now that should be there. Did but yeah, actually yeah, being the crusher. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so Nick, I mean, maybe to dive into that, I mean. To me, that is the key, right? I mean, to have a life cycle of a vehicle, to have two to three life cycles in that car is crucial. And I think it's crucial for buy here, pay here too, but definitely in lease here, pay here, because you're bringing in that 8,500 ACV the first time, you're putting it out there on the loan, and hopefully by mid-loan or, or whatever, you're cash out of that car. You know, you're in cash zero position between payments, and then from then on, essentially your return on investment is infinite because you've already paid yourself back your principal. So you finish that lease, you get the car back. Now it's essentially for, from a cash purpose, it's a zero dollar in car. That second lease is a hundred percent cherry. And then you're hoping to get it back the third time so you can liquidate the thing, right? Right. Uh, That's one way to do it. Have you ever noticed what drive time runs at the auctions? What, what kind of cars they're running? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are they? I mean, what are 90% of them? that they're running at the auctions. What would you say the price range is? I would say probably anywhere from 1800 to three grand is what, I would, is what it used to be. I hadn't, honestly, I hadn't looked at what they're doing here lately. Well, I'll tell you, it's higher. It's like five or $6,000. So hmm. what's hmm. the takeaway on that? Uh, for me, it's a couple of things. Number one, they're not, they're not recycling any of their inventory. They take it all back. They liquidate all of it. Um, and the question, second question would be why? Well, When's a car most reliable, most useful, everything else? Well, it's probably, you know, three years, five years or newer, I, I would say. And then the second thing is, is that $5,000 car, I mean, what is a $5,000 car? It's like a 2013 Hyundai Elantra with 110,000 miles. It's a, it's, a, it's a 2014 Fusion with 140,000 miles. My point is, is they are looking at how, 
that first initial income stream. They're getting like $400 a month out of that fusion. And then they're rather than spending $1,500 or $2,000 reconditioning it, they're getting an incredible amount of money out of a car that they probably generated fifteen dollars to $20,000 on that first go around. So it's a really cool way. And that also makes leasing really attractive to me because you, you have so many options at the end of that lease. You know, do you want to liquidate it and get your five grand now, reinvest that five grand in an 8,000 ACB car? Do you want to try to get it, squeeze every penny of revenue out of that asset and take it back to the, to the junkyard rather than the auction? You know, you can, you have the flexibility to make those kinds of decisions based on whatever's going on in the market. You know, if there's tons of uh, cheap $8,000, $9,000 Hertz rental cars, might be a good idea to liquidate that $5,000 car and reinvest your inventory. So there's just so many cool ways to manage your fleet when you're, when you're doing lease or pay here. What is your monthly lease payment and what is your typical first run on that car? How long is it, is it out? We base the term of the note on the asset. So if it's a older vehicle, say a 2012 or older, it's going to be around a one year lease, uh, maybe a one and a half year lease. If it's a 2012 to 2015, it's going to be a two to a two and a half year lease. And anything I would say seven grand, 8,000 or higher is going to be a three year lease. Our average term taking all those uh, things into account is 27 months. Wow. And, and our yeah. payments are about 420 minus sales tax. So our net on that is right around $400. Okay. And I, so uh, as Jeff mentioned earlier, I don't know anything about uh, leasing. What um, are there certain states where leasing is more favorable than another? Because I don't, I don't know of anyone in South Carolina who does a lease here, pay here um, deal. Uh, I think in North Carolina, there, there's several dealers, but I don't know of anyone here in South Carolina that does it. What's the, what's the, what's the legal issues in states that, that prevent it? Some states make you pay the sales tax up front might be. Uh, rather than when you collect the payments. And that's, see, this is the main reason I switched over to leasing. Buy here, pay here, you got to cut a check to the state for whatever their sales tax rate is before you ever collect anything from the customer. Oh, yeah. Um, that sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They're making way more money at the beginning of that uh, uh, lease than, or, or buy here, pay here note than you are. And then, you know, I, I do know that you get the credit if you, if you repo the car. Most states will give you a credit on that sales tax, but what a pain. Not in South know? Carolina. <laughs> Not in really. So you got to pay it over and over and over again. It's pretty much 15 grand a month that I can just sail down the river. I can tell you that there are a handful of states that will make you collect the sales tax up front, but very few. I think Missouri is one of them. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about state by state, but most states, you only collect sales tax on the downs and the monthly, and it is a huge deferral and a huge cash flow difference. That's $800 a month times whatever you do right off the bat. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's it's an awesome model and that's the that's the main reason i've looked into leasing for years loved all everything about it when i was totally broke and needed to generate as much cash flow as i could that was the catalyst that was the reason i switched to leasing because of that sales tax advantage it, it's been huge for us and it's enabled us to grow much faster than we would have been able to under the buy here pay here model so you're, you're talking about the sales tax uh benefit is there an income tax benefit as well since Trump changed the laws, uh, it's called bonus depreciation, and you're able to depreciate 100% of 
the cost of that vehicle year one. Prior to the Trump uh, changing that, you would depreciate it over a four or five year period or whatever the life of the, of the vehicle was, which is typically four to five years. So in other words, let's say you buy a car for $10,000, uh, back in the old days, you would depreciate that car 20% year one, 20% year two, and then it would accelerate from there. Now you can write off that whole $10,000 year one. This has been unbelievable for me from a tax uh, perspective. I've been able to have net operating losses on my taxes for the last couple of years that I will be able to year, use for years to come. This is absolutely incredible. If you have any kind of a tax problem, you really want to look at least your pay here. So let me look in, let me help me explain that a little. Help me understand that a little bit more. So okay. because you own the portfolio and they're technically your assets, you get to depreciate the cost of that car, not the note, right? Not Correct. the note. Well, there's no note total because you bought it for ten, but you may have sold it for fifteen. Mm -hmm. But you get to depreciate the 10, right? The cost of the inventory. Mm -hmm. And we're going to put out $3 million worth of cars this year. So my, I will get to write off the entire $3 million against my Against earnings. any income, which would completely yeah. dwarf that amount in year one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, until you get to a point where you're kind of at an equilibrium, right? Of Yeah. I mean, the, the, the catch to that is at some point- term, Let's say you went out of business and you were doing nothing but collecting notes, you'd have a huge tax, but it's all, it's all deferral. It's, it's not going to happen for a really long time. One lease or pay here dealer I spoke to said it's like getting an interest-free loan from the government. Oh, sure. I mean, so you would recapture that at the end of the... When you sell the assets, you When you sell the portfolio, when you sell the asset. What, yeah, uh, when you, but it's still depreciated, right? Yeah, it's zero. I mean, it's zero on your books. Um, now, this... The other, the, the ugly side of leasing is you show losses, right? You show a lot of losses, especially on the tax side. So mm -hmm. the lenders that you might be working with will look at this and think you're crazy and think you're uh, running a terrible business. I can't tell you how many stupid bankers have looked at my stuff <laughs> and said, you, you know, you shouldn't be in business because, because of some of these numbers. But And you say, you know, no, I get to add back in depreciation. Don't you know how accounting works? <laughs> No, right, they and they don't, and they don't care. Huh. And, you know, most ninety percent of lenders that you talk to, you you say the word subprime, and they just clam right up, and they're just oh, trying yeah. to figure out a way to get you out of their building. So, um, <laughs> the and I assume you pay you pay income tax per monthly. Uh, essentially, when you when you take a payment, lease uh, lease your payment, you pay taxes on there's there's income generated there, right? in that payment. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. But you don't um, pay it, taxes. Is it the whole payment? Own. Yes. Every okay. penny that you collect is income on a lease, okay. except okay. for sales tax, right? Right. But, so let, why don't we just walk through your typical buy or pay here deal versus lease or pay here. You, you, you buy a car for $6,000, right? And the little, the classic buy or pay here model is cost times two plus a grand, right? So that's thirteen thousand dollars to sell that car for, and then you got to discount it and sell it to your RFC, and you show a profit of like fifteen hundred on the dealer side, and then you got it over to your RFC, and it's all this complex paperwork, and you got to sell it to the RFC, and then if it repos, you go go put it back, and all that yuckiness. <laughs> that's yeah. a total waste of you and your staff's uh, time. Sure, leasing 
you don't show a penny of income until you actually collect something. So the only income that you show is the down payment, let's say it's $1,000, and the monthly payment, which is $400 a month. And then let's say you repo it. Well, if it's on your books for the initial amount that you purchased it, and you didn't depreciate it monthly, so, so you can either depreciate it monthly, or you can do a once a year line item depreciation, which is what we do. Um, the only hit you'll take on that, on bringing that car back in is depreciation. Whereas on the buy here, pay here side, you repo a car is a huge financial hit on your, on your P&L. Uh, and then it's, you have to do all that complex stuff. And so it's just so much more simple. It's so much easier to deal with it. Plus you don't have to go to the state to get a sales tax refund. If your state allows you to get refunds way less complex, way easier. Mm -hmm. So, so you're only paying that sales tax on the total amount of the payments you collected that month. That's correct. And you forward that out monthly, like what we do with our total amount of sales, you're just doing it off your total amount of lease payments. That's right. Now tell me this to jump uh, forward a little bit. Um, now the car, I, I've, got a ton of, I've had a ton of hurdles in my mind over leasing, but one of them is, do you have, you don't have an RFC that owns the car. It's titled in your name, right? I mean, you, we, we did have an RFC when we were doing buyer pay here. We call our finance company APG Financial, but for all intents and purposes, it's the same company. It's just a way to kind of separate our finance company from our dealership. Mm -hmm. However, most lease or pay here dealers, if it's whatever the name of the dealership is, that's the name on the title. You're the owner of the vehicle. It's your car on the title of the vehicle. How does that, so in, in my state, and uh, I, I get all weird thinking about things like this, but in my state, if, if ABC Motors owned the car and the car was in a car accident, ABC Motors would be the liability of the insurance portion. What, what, how, how does it work in your state and how do you prevent liability from that standpoint? Mm -hmm. That is probably the number one question I get when I do lease or pay here panels and uh, mm. anybody interested in the very first question. Well, if the title's on my name and they hit a bus full of kids and, you know, um, so there's a, an amendment called the Graves Amendment, which protects you from their mistakes. And I have not heard of a single lease here, pay here dealer getting into any kind of trouble because of something their customer did in the vehicle because of that Graves Amendment. And that's a nationwide deal. Is the Graves Amendment, uh, does it only apply to leased cars or does it apply to rentals and leases? I wouldn't know about rentals, but I know for sure that it absolutely applies to leases. I mean, think, yeah. you know, 50% of new yeah. car sales are leases. Yeah, I think right. about so it's BMW a and GM and Honda Financial and all these guys that are massive into leases. If that, if that door was ever opened, you better believe oh. that we got a lot of strong lobbyists that would get that shut real quick. Yeah, because yeah, I just heard, exactly. um, I've heard people bringing up the Graves Amendment, and honestly, I haven't done my uh, due diligence on that. And I've heard people yeah. say, oh, it applies to rentals and then, you know, it applies to leases. So I was just, I've always wondered that. So, mm -hmm. but these, so your customers still have their own full coverage insurance, correct? Yeah. I mean, most of them, like, like most. any <laughs> portfolio. You prefer them to have their own full coverage. Yes. Can you sell, um, I'm, I guess this is going to lead me to my next one, but you can sell ancillary products. You could still sell them. I mean, can you sell, there is no gap insurance, right? Because there's never a gap. 
There is no, no we do sell our customers. There is a receivable. I mean, there's a payoff on a lease, just like there is on a purchase. But okay, but what we sell our customers is we charge them fifty dollars a month for essentially a bumper to bumper warranty. Um, and then we'll charge them another $50 a month if they only have liability insurance. Okay. We are like a lot a more cancellation or something. Yeah. And, um, yeah, see, they call it collateral protection, CPI, okay, what, CPI whatever. And it's not policy. really insurance. It's just that if the car totals out, we'll, we'll pay it off. Yeah. Off the note. Um, and, and there's just so many customers that, that can't afford full coverage insurance and paying us. And if the assets of five grand or below ACV, take the chance, collect your $50. We, we add that money that we set aside on our balance sheet to our income at the end of every year. We have never not made money on that program. Yeah. Net net. Yeah. So, so talk to me about that. My biggest hurdle to leasing is helping the customer feel ownership in the car. I just, in my brain, I think that I have a hard enough time getting people to do the oil changes and take care of it because they're just going to drive it like they stole it. If they know that it's a lease and that they're <laughs> Go back after 12 months. Why would they ever change a tire? Why would they ever inspect it? Why would they ever change the oil? I mean, why ever clean it when you're like, well, I'm just, I'm going to give it back in three more months. I just got to make it through this lease. Well, we really don't even talk about the word lease until we're, uh, we're step eight, which is presenting the, the numbers. That's the, mm -hmm. that the lease doesn't really come up until that point. And at the end of the day, our customers could care less whether it's a lease or a purchase or whatever, there's only two things they care about. You guys know what that is, what, what the down is and what the monthly is. Those are the only two concerns we have had in all the years we've done leasing. We've had maybe a handful of customers say, well, you never own the car and we can overcome that 99% of the time. The 1% that we can't have a difficult time overcoming that with is the Hispanic community. They just feel like it's some kind of an exotic, strange thing. And on those handful of deals, we've gone ahead and just done a regular buy here, pay here deal. But in terms of uh, them taking ownership, yes, we've had those folks come in and say, well, I don't own it anyways. And it's like, well, no, but we made an agreement. And, uh, you know, in exchange for coming and getting your free oil change, you're going to have a warranty that will cover it in the event of a, of a breakdown. I mean, I think that's a pretty fair trade-off, but at, at the same time, I totally agree with you. Extremely hard to get the customers to do something like just come in yeah. for a free oil change. I don't think that changes whether it's buyer pay or lease or pay or. Yeah, I'm scared that I guess in my brain, I just think that, yeah, A, they're going to drive the tires off it. B, I'm going to call the guy and say, hey, your lease just expired. You need to bring the car back. And he's going to say, what lease? I just barely put $1,000 in new tires into this thing, belts, brakes, radiators. What are you talking about? You need to pay me back. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Fair enough. Um, those types of, all right, let's, let's sign you up for a second lease on it, or let's flip that into a regular installment loan. I mean, I guess you got options, mm -hmm. huh? We do have a lot of options. We start having that conversation with our customer about 90 days before the lease expires, kind of what their plans are, how it works. Um, what your options are. And uh, a lot of our customers that have gotten to that point will just end up buying the vehicle at the end of the lease. If we'll finance the residual for them, we actually switch it from a lease to a buyer pay here. Note, we currently have about a hundred customers paying on the residual and that works really well. That, that works extremely well. Um, but our goal, our goal of course, is to get them to um, turn the car back in and get another car from us. Yeah. Which and is we super set the residuals. Yeah, at first our residuals were way too low, you know, 
$1,500 pretty much flat across the board. That's very compelling for the customer to just purchase it. So we, we really increased our residuals up to about 35% in order to encourage them to give us the car back and get them into another vehicle. Because that's and a the fine line, right? I mean, that's a fine line between having the quote unquote $1 buyout, which is not a lease, you know, and you get in trouble if you're doing that, if your buyouts are too that's low. Right. And so you want your buyouts to be high enough that it's an incentive to trade in. That's right. And we learned that the hard way. <laughs> we yeah. really did. We had tons of customers. The cars were worth three, four thousand dollars, and they they only had to pay fifteen hundred dollars. What? course they're gonna they're gonna buy the vehicle they had a lot of positive equity in it right right right. So what, a lot of, go ahead sorry so after, yeah residual things i've got to wrap my head around um i know i mean i know what residual is but if i'm if i'm you and i sell the car if i buy the car for eight thousand mm-hmm. dollars my lease sales price is going to be what 12 i don't know what is it well, uh, I, this is a really interesting thing that you bring up because we do a lot of retail deals. We're averaging around 50 retail units a month, just regular outside finance, credit unions, okay. cap one type gotcha. deals. Yeah. Yeah. And really hard to put the kind of markup that you'd need for buy here, pay here on your website while you're doing retail, right? I mean, yeah. nobody would. So, so this is how we overcome that. And this is another at, huge competitive advantage to leasing over buy your pay here. If you're interested in having both models uh, under one roof, almost impossible to do buy here, pay here and retail in the same roof because you, because of the markup, you can't, you can't put a $5,000 car for 10, nine 95 and expect retail buyers to, to just ink, ink up on that. Right. <laughs> so anyhow, what we do is we have, it, this is some beautiful things about leasing. You have a lot of fees that you can add. So we had a $350 security deposit. We had a $995 acquisition fee. Um, we had uh, the 499 dock fee, stuff like that. And that helps cover the margin that we need to cover in order to make the, the leasing work. And then we also have an extremely high money factor to make up for our low, uh, the, the low markup. Uh, mm. Money factor is, is an interest rate. And if you were to rate. calculate it, we, we charge like 29% interest. Um, which is which is a which is a great return and 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 the and the cool thing for the customer is if you were to model out twenty four point nine nine over five five years versus uh, the money factor over three years, they save money. We make money. It's just it's an awesome model because of that residual. That residual yeah. is really what. what so what the price, the price you're advertising for for your car or the price you're selling for your car. Does that in, that does not include the residual? I, so if if I'm if I'm coming into you and I'm I'm buying this twelve thousand dollar car plus all the fees, and I pay the entire lease program, is is it that amount of money plus the interest that I'm paying, or is it a lower amount of that twelve thousand dollars? Is it is it minus the residual? How's that? So on that eight thousand dollar example. You have all the fees and stuff. Let's just say you add two thousand dollars in fees, so the customer's finance, the customer's initial cap cost—that's what it's called in a lease. Your price is the initial cap cost, ninety-nine ninety-nine, and then uh, you have what's called cap cost reduction, which is their down. Um, we take three hundred and fifty of that cap of that down payment and apply it towards a security deposit. So let's just say they're putting thirteen fifty down. 
So $1,000 would be their initial cap cost. So then they would be uh, at $89.95. They make payments over 20 months, 24 months, whatever. And then at the end of that payment, they have the residual, which at 35% of $89.95 would be about $3,000 would be the residual. So to answer your question, they are only making payments on that difference between the gotcha. residual and then, and so we're taking that payment, adding the, the uh, money factor, the rent charge, and that's the yeah. payment. Which is, which is one of the sexiest things about leasing, if you were to full-blown advertise it, is it is kind of, I mean, it is rental. Look, buddy, you're only using, you're only paying for the amount of car you're using. And when mm-hmm. you're done using that car at the end of my one, two, or three-month lease, you, you give the car back. You know, you're done with it. You don't, you, you don't have to keep paying on this thing when it gets old and decrepit and starts falling apart. You're only using, paying for what you're using. Especially on low ACB stuff, nobody is banging anybody's door down to get into a 2012 Impala. (laughs) (laughs) That's a need car, not a want car. Our response to that, Mr. Customer, you're dating it. You're not marrying it. The the idea here is just to get you back on track, get some good on-time payments on your credit, get you in a better situation, and then we'll find you a really nice car at the end of this super short-term 18-month, 24-month, whatever the term lease is then we're going to get you into the dream car so stop me if i'm wrong here but but with what you've been saying to in order to run a successful lease program you do need to have a a pretty robust service center right like if you're going to be putting your own warranty on these things and you're going to be doing oil changes so you can keep your hands on them you guys are probably doing a lot of customer repairs i think that's absolutely essential to having, a, to having a successful outcome. Absolutely. The only way I would caveat that is higher ACV. So I could see a world where you're doing 2016 Altimas, $11,000, $12,000. You're getting $1,500. You can always command a better down payment out of a car like that. Let's say the average down on that's $2,000. Mm-hmm. You're collecting four, you can get a better payment out of it, right? Four fifty a month. You do a 36-month lease on that with a 40% residual. You get that car back. At four. I mean, that's a scenario under which you would not need a robust shop. But then if you have capital constraints, it won't be too long to 12,000 times 100 units a month. I mean, yeah. that's a tremendous amount of capital going out. So, yes, absolutely, you need to have that shop. That shop is essential. Yeah, you're bust. You, you, you're you're going to put tires on that thing, and you're going to have done oil changes, you know, a dozen times, you know. So so you've got to have the ability to get your hands back on the car. If they don't come in for their oil change, is that a requirement? Like, hey, you void your lease, you're done. We got to pick this thing up if you're not getting your oil, your free oil changes done. Because we would never pick up a car time. because they're they're not getting their oil changed and. Let's say they didn't change their oil. They, they put 30,000 miles on it and the engine blows. Um, would we repo them over that or not help them get another motor? No, we'd still do it because what are we going to do if they don't, if, if they don't play ball? You know, we're going to repo the car. We're going to put a motor in it. And we're yeah, standard by your So why yeah. not try to generate as much revenue from that customer as you can, even if they mm-hmm. screw up, you know, which, which yeah. a ton of them do. The other thing, while we're speaking on that, full synthetic across the board that product is so much better than um you know than than the conventional oil it's it's a game changer for us that customer can go 9000 12000 miles without changing the oil and it and it'll still survive so 
Yeah, I, I agree with you there. What? Uh, how many cars? So, if you got a twenty two hundred uh, portfolio right now, how many cars are coming back in every month and reconning? How does that? What's that look like? Really good question. So our uh, repo rate is hovering around 3% of our portfolio every month. So 3% of 2200 is about 50 units a month. And then um, we're seeing an average termination of about our total total repo termination is about five and a half percent of our portfolio. So we're averaging about 120 units a month to come back in. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to sell a, a, a ton of cars to grow, right? I mean, we really yeah. do. Um, and that that is one of the more difficult sides of leasing. I, I really hmm. don't know what your typical buy or pay here looks like in terms of vehicles coming back, but it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. So on the one hand, you keep getting these cars back. It's tough to grow. But on the other hand, you have a steady supply of that lower ACV inventory that's super difficult to purchase at the auctions, yeah. right? I mean, You know 100% of the history. Yeah, and our techs, you know, they'll be like, oh, you're back. Oh, it's so yeah. nice to see. You. <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> they fall in love with these stupid cars. <laughs> no, that's a good point you made, though. The flip side of that is because your loans are shorter, you know, your leases are shorter. You are turning. You're you are selling. You're having to sell more cars because of you know you know you add the repo rate onto the lease, the turn in rate, or your upgrade, whatever you're calling it. You got to move. Yeah, you have a lot higher volume. You're having to do. You know. It's true, um, but you look at your typical buy here, pay here world. Is it really that different? I mean, I don't know the definitively yeah. know the answer to that. I do have a lot of buy here, pay here dealer friends that see similar kind of numbers. I mean, I don't know how much the leasing model. Twenty-seven month is probably the average term that I bet any of our buy here, pay here notes actually make it. So yeah, we're probably. I- I agree. And I think that the, the terms that we put out is more in line with reality. You know, mm-hmm. our customer on a low ACV car, you're going to see him pay for about 16 months. Higher ACV, it'll be closer to the term of the note. But all in, all out, I think you're right. No matter whether it's lease or pay here, buy or pay here, that, that 27 month, that sounds like about the right number, doesn't it? Yeah. Can, can, you, can you logistically and or legally do both? a lease here, pay here, and a buy here, pay here off the same lot. If you just said, hey, anything under a 10 grand sales price is going to be a buy here, pay here, and everything over is going to be a lease here, pay here, or whatever your factors were, is that something that, I mean, you said you do a little bit of the buy here, pay here's on some payouts and things like that. (laughs) If a customer is absolutely staunch, like, no, I do not want this to be a lease. I want you to amortize the full amount of the purchase so that I can own it at the end of the term. Do you say, okay, cool. And then it does, it's not, it's not confusing or legally challenging. I think that it can be done. And, and yes, we do it under certain circumstances, but Jeff, I, the most successful operators I know, keep it simple. Mm. They keep it simple for their staff. They keep it simple for their customers. Um, and keeping it simple, doing both uh, day in day out for your staff and your customer just becomes really laborious, really difficult to keep on top of. So I would suggest that you just do one or the other. Um, or let's say you're, you're a big buyer pay here, you see all the benefits of leasing, but you don't want to completely switch over. And of course you have a ton of buyer pay here notes left to collect. Um, I can see a scenario under which you would still do a few buyer pay here, um, but, but the idea of doing low ACV buyer pay here, high ACV leaser pay here, there's benefits and, and uh, disadvantages to doing both low and high ACV in either model. 
So mm. I personally, if you're going to do lease or pay here, just do it. Just, mm. just do it. Dip in with, don't, don't dip with your toe, go in full feet and, and go, yeah. go for it. So are you having to buy a lot of units per month also? Right. Yes. And, and where do you source those like a typical, um, a typical store or are you buying mostly uh, off, off rental, off lease products right now? Um, it's cyclical, you know, in the, in the pre-tax time period, uh, we like to buy a lot of rentals cause they get cheap. They get under around 10 grand. You know, I mean, I saw 16 Altimas with 40,000 miles, a car MMR on that thing right now is $12,000 and we were buying them for nine grand, 9,500 bucks back in December, January. Um, so you, you don't touch a rental car right now. So I like to buy the fleet vehicles, um, element at least plan Donlin uh, wheels uh, fusion has been our has been the car I've bought the most the new body style fusions this year um, love the fleet cars because it's typically one person that drove them they're regularly maintained um, high mileage but really clean you know likely highway high mileage I love that car we do really well with that car um, but yes we buy 180 to 200 units a month and I do it all myself. I do 90, 90 to 95% of it online. Um, have a little guy that'll go buy trade-ins at some of the local stores, but that's just a handful of our sourcing. And yeah. You find the most lucky in the base models though. You're not buying anything that's hard loaded or fancy or flashy. You're talking like basic solid transportation. Yes. Uh, I would say 80% of our sales are the four door car, uh, compact and mid-sized car. Um, yeah. But that being said, here's another really cool thing about leasing. Just wrap your head around this. You got a crew cab F-150, 2015. You bought it from Wheels, has high mileage, 120,000 miles, super clean. Let's say you bought it for 16,000 bucks and you got it on your lot for 18,900. You get this construction guy that maybe had a little few problems in the past, but but's working, got a steady job. He's got 5,000 bucks down and he wants a truck. You're charging him $350 every couple of weeks. Just do the math on that deal. Um, <laughs> you make an incredible profit under that scenario. I mean, that is a super profitable deal. You can feel a lot more comfortable doing that under a lease scenario than a purchase scenario because of the residual. The customer's not paying on the entire purchase. He's only paying on that. And trucks in particular are worth something at the end of the lease versus your typical four-door car. That's probably about 5% of our sales, that scenario that mm. I just described. And I love the way that looks, and I love the profitability of it. Um, first glance, you'd think, gosh, that's crazy to put, expose yourself to that kind of risk. But you get the right customer with the right amount of down, oh my gosh, you just knock it out of the park, you know? The dollar amount and the use, does that doesn't make you nervous that they're using it for construction or beating it up, or it's gonna be covered in drywall and paint? <laughs> Yes, but if you're getting five grand down and, and you're collecting $700 a month, I think uh -huh. you can make, make that work, you know? Yeah, and you have mileage restrictions, I'm sure, or guidelines. We do have guidelines. We do not enforce it, and we don't watch it. Um, my personal philosophy is there's just only so many things that you can control. Um, the yeah. Uber Lyft thing, um, that's like catnip to the in-house finance customer. There's no question that at some point, almost all of our customers will be Uber Lyft drivers. 
the question is, is how many are actually going to stick with it? And I really think that when they see how little they get and what a pain in the butt it is, that they'll abandon it after a few months. But if it's a scenario like uh, either I get a repo or they become an Uber Lyft driver and make a couple payments to me, I think I'm going to go for the Uber Lyft scenario. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you definitely yeah. You provide them with the car that would actually qualify. I'm not sure that many of mine out here would. <laughs> I know all Luke's do, that's for sure. Yeah, and we see it every once in a while, but I'm with you that it, uh, it doesn't last long typically. If someone's Uber or Lyft driver, it's it's a month or two type of situation, not a not a consistent, uh, you know, consistent situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you look at the, I can't remember the name of the finance company that financed Uber customers. Do you, do you remember that? Santander, they, yeah. I just didn't look that up. They took huge, huge losses. And the reason why is because our customers don't want to, they don't stick to that job. There's no way. Nah. You know? So, yeah. But uh, and Uber Lyft's definitely put interesting things into, into uh, our customer and, and how we deal with that. I love how some dealers just can't stand the idea of Uber Lyft and think it's the worst thing that's ever happened. And I'm like, dude, if it's an extra 300, that's our car payment. That prevents a repo. That's awesome, in my opinion. Yeah, let them put an extra thousand or miles on it a month, huh? Just get the payment in. It's not mm-hmm. the thousand miles. It's not the thousand miles I'm worried about. It's the three thousand miles of extra month that I've seen that that worries me from that perspective. But I mean, you see it any. I mean, sometimes you see it anyway, and they're not making any money. So well, you yeah, trade in, right? I mean, if that like we had a customer come in with a sixteen Rav four. Finance with Toyota Toyota Motor Credit, 170,000 miles. Now, that's not our customer. <laughs> it's just not our customer. <laughs> Can't help you out there. So you, right. I heard you say you, you don't enforce mileage restrictions. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. If you've got you know a customer that that's devalued your collateral so much, um, and I understand it's about collecting the the monthly, but you know, if, if I if I put a car out there that let's say I'm I'm allowing them fifteen thousand fifteen thousand miles a year and they're doing thirty thousand miles a year and I get it back, I mean, it, and the car is done. I mean, what do you do in that situation? We go after them. Uh, we we you know we we sue them. We we have our attorney collect the bad debt. Um, but but at the end of the day, if we had a strict policy about mileage. Would we still get, would that customer have still done that? And would we still yeah. have that problem? I think the answer is yes. I just don't think it's something that's realistically enforceable. Um, and looking at my fleet, looking at what I put out on the road, um, you know, most of our stuff, with, in, including the recycled inventory, is going to be six or $7,000. So yes, that's exposure if every single customer is putting that kind of mileage out there. But we just don't see it enough for us to worry about that yeah to try to track it on a monthly basis somehow yeah it would be super erroneous you know really difficult but you you i assume in these leases they're all still have a a gps unit Mm -hmm. yeah most are all on every unit so i mean you repo and just just like a buy here pay here store i mean it's it's essentially the same well we didn't talk about that too the legal side of it. it that eliminates a lot of the legal side of a repossession because it's a lease you don't have to give certain notices and certain things, correct? You hmm. sure don't. You don't, and you're, you're, none of that is, uh, none of the stuff you have to do with your buyer, pay, or dealer do you have to do under- There's uh, no 10-day cure period. There's no- No 10-day cure, no nothing. I mean- It doesn't matter where days. you sell it. You don't have to send it to the auction and give them a, 
you know, a 1099C at the end of the year or whatever, all that stuff, correct? None of that applies. It makes life a, a whole bunch mm -hmm. easier under the lease scenario. Now, does that mean you, you do stupid stuff and upset <laughs> customer? Of course not. But it just yeah, means you're yeah. not under that those set of rules. Yeah, and you won't uh, get sued for uh, not giving notice or something like that. We can, if we know a customer's not going to redeem, we just we don't even put it in the repo uh, yard. We just put it straight into our uh, service line, get it reconditioned, and it's back for sale within five days to seven days. It's and it's got plates on it, right? I mean, you, you don't have to replate these things every time, right? We do replate them every time. Uh, okay. Utah, that's the case, but I know different states have different rules regarding that, and I think that's a, that could be a, another potential cost savings. You do have to re-register them, even though it's still titled in your name and registered in your name. You still have it's to re-register. New, new lessor, yeah, and uh, I don't oh. know. Because the lessor yeah, is, is named on the title? Yes. Okay, okay. Yes. That's where I'm, I'm missing. So how's that, how are they named on the title? Is it uh, such and such leasing and that customer? Is that how it goes? You know, I've never actually looked at a title <laughs> to see how it is, but I can tell you on the registration, we're the owner. Uh, but there is, I think on the registration, it'll say that they're the, they're the lessor, but uh, okay. on the title, I really don't know the answer to that. Yeah, huh. you'd be the lien holder technically, plus you'd be the owner with a lessor on there because they have to be listed on the title in order to get their insurance. They got to be on the registration to get their insurance, right? Because insurance is right. going to you know, insure something you're not on the registration for. Yep. Now, I guess we're also yeah. responsible for like, I mean, you get notices for parking tickets and fines, <laughs> poll booths and things like that. Like that's your gig, right? Yeah, we do see a handful of uh, parking tickets. We just, I mean, we essentially you have to pay them. impound notices. I mean, if the car gets impounded, like for me, I get a car impounded in Las Vegas. The fees are so ridiculous, astronomical between towing and storage. If I'm not on it within five days, it's not worth picking up. But, true. So I say, forget it. I'm not going to touch it. They have to go after the owner of the car. But if I'm the owner now as the leasee, am I on the hook? And they can <laughs> sue me for all of their towing and storage and well, position. All they're, all they're suing you for is to get the car. So you just hand them the title, essentially. Yeah. Or they apply for a duplicate title or abandoned title at, the, yeah. at their state. Yeah, but we they never run after you for, their, for, the, for fees that are accrued. No. No. We've never Mechanics liens, happen. they can't they could come after you for those, but for the most part, these guys just want the title. Right. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Just like any other impound scenario. And yeah, we definitely get our share of impound notices, just like all in-house finance dealers. Every every day. I mean, I mean, you know, it's funny that we um we think about if if we're in subprime financing, buy here, pay here, lease here, whatever it is, and we think about the the things we have to go through in these, you know, these mechanics liens and these storage bills, but you know, every finance company does this. They, they have the same thing going on every day. And if it's Wells Fargo, if it's Santander, if it's whoever, they all go through that. It's just, you, they know, do. you know, so it's like, it's just part of the, just part of the job. Well, but the big difference, and this is, a, this is an interesting you know, I think that a lot of like like Cox Automotive Group, I really think they thought the buy here, pay here model was going down the tubes. I don't know if you've got that feeling from next year or the auto or whatever people, but they really looked at us like we were going to go extinct. I, I really believe that. So why, why didn't we go extinct? And why are we seeing more showroom visits and more customers than we've seen in years? 
I think that we are so much better equipped to deal with that subprime customer than any indirect finance company. Think about the bureaucracy of a Wells Fargo, okay? The customer has to get 90 days delinquent before they repo that car. Then they got to fill out all their paperwork. Then it goes and sits in some yard for 60 or 90 days. Then it gets processed at the auction. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, you're talking six to eight months. I get put in that car back on the lot after that customer's 30 days late and I'm reselling the vehicle. It's so much more efficient. It's so much better than anything any indirect finance company could do. It, if you, it, you know, you asked me, you know, there was a while where I thought, man, doing indirect would be so cool. No salespeople, no cars, no overhead, da, 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 da. Looking at that scenario now, there's no question in my mind that this in-house financing scenario is by far the best thing that our customers could ever. We provide an incredible service uh, for so many reasons, but, you know, the, the lenders don't have any way to deal with mechanical failure or other life problems. I lost my job. Uh, we do. And this yeah. is a huge competitive advantage. So if you're a little discouraged as an in-house finance dealer, I say get, get out of that mode. This is an exciting period. These regional lenders, I'm understanding their margins are getting worse. The repos are going up. This is our time, baby. <laughs> I'm really excited about it. So, so Nick, that's, that's interesting that you bring that up because I, I agree with what you're talking about, how, how we're better equipped as uh, we, we have boots on the ground, let's say, okay? Yeah. Why, why then is it, and why is drive time successful? I've often wondered that. I, I don't understand how there, there's becoming more and more of these, uh, let's say, chain or franchise, not ch franchise, but chained, uh, big money-backed, uh, buy-here-pay-here stores, when they can't provide the level of service we do, um, and they don't understand our customer. Like, what is, is it just capital that made that grow? You know, what, what is it, you think? And I've studied that drive time thing a lot just because it's, it's such an interesting story. You know, these Garcia guys and his son, you know, I'm sure you know is Carvana, um, just fascinating guys. And, and I think Ernie, Ernie Garcia just found an opportunity with the ugly duckling. Um, you guys can just read Google about this thing because it's, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, this guy was in big legal trouble at one point, um, heavily leveraged and turned it into drive time, which is it the number one or the number two? Uh, used car. It, I think I it's two it's, behind CarMax. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so why why does a customer go to CarMax or DriveTime versus some little dealership that they've never heard of? Yeah. It's the same question as why is Best Buy still around and a bunch of the little electronic stores? Uh, why is Walmart here and, and all the little um, you know variety stores are gone? It's just brand and name recognition, I think, more than anything uh, is, is it. Um, drive time. I don't really know how they handle collections and late, you know, uh, customers losing their job, mechanical failures, but I imagine they have a pretty robust program to help folks uh, under those scenarios. So, I would think they would have to, honestly. I yeah, think to that, that degree though, they still have the same issue of bureaucracy because you're yeah. someone 20 levels deep that's stuck to a policy and procedure manual that they can't verify from that's in some call center that's just making his whatever wage plus bonus. Whereas when I talk about independent dealers and like you talk about us in-house guys, I'm talking like he comes down and he's sitting on the couch across from me and we're talking about how we're going to keep the car going and keep their loan working. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's the personal well, Jeff, touch where I can go completely outside of the parameters of what makes sense to make them happy, keep the loan active, right? 
Yeah, but like it or not, we're the dealer of last resort. I think we are the drive time customers dealer after drive time repos them. <laughs> because they're like, drive time sucks. They can't help us. They don't want to do anything. And I, they just repoed me. I'm going to go see Jeff and he'll take care of me and give me that personal touch. And then hopefully you've got a customer for, for a long, long time, you know, good well, paying customer for a long time at that point. And my thought on that is because I'm going to do a reasonable, successful loan in my brain. And again, I'm not in a drive time market or a JD by rider or CarMax or any of those guys, but the people that are going to go there and they're going to get a 2016 or a 2017 Nissan Altima at 600 a month for 36 months or whatever it is are going to come here. And I'm going to say, no, 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 no. We are going to look at this 2011 Ford Fusion and I'm going to have you at 300 or 350 a month. That's why they go there first. Because they're going to have too much car at <laughs> too much point. Pay. Whereas they're going to come point. to me, I'm going to be realistic. Had a yeah. customer this morning um, reach out to us on Facebook. And, um, of course, I got them off of one of our paid ads into a, a direct messaging type situation. Good job. And she, she was complaining on our website about our application process that didn't have a way to list Social Security. And I'm like, no, that, we take Social Security as, as income. You know, and I pulled her off. And this lady wanted a four-wheel drive truck. No problem. I said, yeah, we have four-wheel drive trucks. Um, but my Social Security is $1,294 a month. And I'm like, well, I can only approve you up to, you know, about $250, $275 a month. You know, I, you're not going to buy a four-wheel drive truck for that. But how many places are maybe putting her in that four? Because she, she, her response to me is, oh, I can afford $400 a month. Oh, really? You can afford $400 driving a truck that's going to get 12 miles to the gallon. You, you're going to be able to afford that on $1,294 a month. No, ma'am, you can't. But how many drive times or putting, putting those customers in those situations like you speak of that, Jeff, knowing that they're, they're not, they can't afford it. You know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think that, that distinguishes us a lot of times from the, from the other companies. Well, I think the other a couple other takeaways, the reason why you're seeing more of these conglomerate buy her pay here dealers, especially back east, American Car Center, um, CarMax, I don't know if you've looked at an auto count report, but they 80% of the cars, they, they're a freaking buy-her-pay-her store. Yeah. 80% of the cars they sell, they finance themselves. So why? It's because it's unbelievably profitable. Yeah. It's super incredibly profitable. I think you're going to see this more. And I think, you, you know, you, you look at, okay, if I'm, gonna, if I'm trying to get a return on my VC, venture capital, private equity money, where is that? Uh, this auto finance business is super attractive to that to that kind of um, investor, and so where does that put us, the smaller dealers? Well, for me, I just I advertise like crazy and make sure everybody out there knows who we are, so we get that brand brand name recognition. Mm -hmm. And I'm hopeful that if, you know I'm usually the dealer of last resort, even though we have nice cars and stuff. I think just people with lousy credit would rather. They have this idea in their head that they want to go to a CarMax or a Larry, you know, some of the bigger, bigger places, but that's fine. There's still great customers. We're still killing it. We still got 800 customer uh, showroom visits this month. There's just a huge market out there for what we have to offer. And it's super exciting. I think, you know, one thing that's concerned me is just more people out there have bad, better credit. There's less folks with, with uh, 600 and less credit scores because of the economy and everything else. But that's still a huge chunk of the population that has that lower credit score. And if we're super dialed in and zeroed in on our, on our marketing message, 
we're going to capture a huge chunk of that of that customer base. So, anyhow, those are my little. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of a wrap there, buddy. That's a man. I could go on forever, Nick. It's been just super enlightening. You just just so much knowledge. Jeez, Louise. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, guys. Thank you for having me.